Well, good morning, church. It is great to be with you. My name is Ethan Magnus. I am one of the pastors here. And um, in case you're wondering why I'm sitting down, I realized this morning that I, I overestimated the degree to which I was recovered from the summer cold that I've been battling the last few days and decided I didn't want to try to stand up for five straight services. So uh, I'll be sitting down, but I think uh, we'll be having just as much uh, fun. We're glad you're here. If you're a guest with us this morning, uh, super glad that you are here uh, with us today. Um, it's my first time back preaching uh, for a few weeks, um, so uh, especially sorry to be sick on that, but especially grateful for those who have preached the last three weeks. If you've been gone, you missed some really amazing messages in our summer play playlist series. I'm grateful to Brandon Jacobs, uh, who's getting ready to plant a church in uh, Nashville, uh, for sharing on Psalm 8 with us, and Liam Blackmore for opening up God's Word in Psalm 119 to challenge us to open up God's Word. It was just great. And then last week, Alexander Greer looked at Psalm 107 that reminds us that we are part of a story of redemption and then calls us to tell that story. If you missed any of those messages, they were all amazing. Uh, I got to listen to some of them live, but I've listened to all of them uh, online since then, and you could too. Go to our YouTube page and you can listen to all those messages. They were great. Uh, before I tear into our last um, uh, summer playlist message, I want to do a couple of announcements. Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago uh, why I sometimes uh, begin my messages with announcements, and um, I got to tell them something I'll tell you. I love announcements. Uh, I know this sounds crazy, and, and it probably is sacrilegious that the announcements are sometimes my favorite part of the worship service, but they are. I know some, some people don't like announcements, and they're always trying to figure out how we can have fewer announcements and not do announcements. I, I'm the person who loves announcements, and here's why I love announcements. I think for many of us, it is the announcements that actually create an opportunity for us to go deeper in our discipleship. I mean, you're already at church, so I know you go to church, and maybe you're already in a Sunday school class, but it's the announcements that will help you hear of some new study opportunity that God wants to use to teach you. It's the announcements that will help you hear about some new service opportunity where you want to go deeper in service. It's the announcements that will help you new, hear about some new opportunity uh, for generosity. So that's my little defense of announcements I love announcements. And I've got a couple for you. Um, you already heard uh, Betsy say uh, that Wednesday night classes return here in just about 10 days. So I hope you got one of these. Take a look at these. Uh, this, is, this is a short-term investment to make a long-term impact in your walk with Christ. That's what I love about these classes. Take a look at this. Find one that you think God could use uh, to, uh, to serve you and move you forward and make sure you're doing that. Also, along with that, Student Ministries is ramping up. They've got a big launch event coming up soon. Uh, please look in your bulletin for that. Student Ministries is about to restart for the fall. If you're in my junior and senior high guys groups, we start August 15th, so I expect to see you there. Uh, we'll be back there. Um, oh, last thing, last announcement, and I love this one. Um, August 25th, I think you'll start seeing it in the bulletins and whatnot starting next week, but I want to give you the save the date today. August 25th is our next gathering. Uh, if you don't know what that is yet, oh, I'm glad to be the one to tell you. The gathering is a thing we do about twice a year. It is for everyone in the church who is leading or serving somewhere or would like to be leading or serving 
somewhere. Everybody in the church who is leading, maybe in Sunday school or in greeting ministry or in children's ministry or in worship ministry, everyone who is leading or would like to be plugged in in leadership and service in the church, we do these twice a year. They're a training event. It's a vision event. There's breakfast. It's lots of fun. The next one is coming up August 25th. Um, I'll be there. I hope you'll be there too uh, for the gathering. All right, well, let's jump in to our last addition to our summer playlist. Uh, last week, Alexander uh, introduced his addition to the summer playlist by talking about how much he likes songs that tell a story. Well, I'm going to introduce mine with a different category of songs. I like songs that teach something. Songs that are educational or instructional. Uh, you, you know an instructional song. All of us do. Do you know the one that goes A, B, C, D, E, F, G? You know that song? How many of you still to this day, when you look up something in the dictionary, you hum it to yourself? Anybody? Anybody? I'm so embarrassed. You ask me what letter comes after R, the way I find out the answer to that question is, well, it's ridiculous. Here I am, 40-something years old. I still have to go back and that. But that's what these songs do to us. Uh, I, I remember, how did I learn how the legislative process worked? Does anybody know what song taught me the legislative process for I'm coming. I see a couple of you out there singing it, right? I'm just a bill. Oh, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on cat. And I actually, I looked that up on YouTube just this week to remember. It, it's really actually a very, it goes through the whole process. It starts with a constituent meeting and then the drafting of it and then the committee process. It teaches you the whole process in that silly little after school song that I bet half of you are humming along with me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm another kind of educational song that I am always grateful for. I, I'm not, it's, it's, an, it's a stretch to say that I like this kind of educational song, but I'm grateful for it. And that's the songs where they're, uh, it teaches you the dance in the song. I hate dances. You know, I never dance. I don't know how to dance. And so, but some songs actually teach you the dance in the song, right? Have you heard these? Like this is, this is a recent, we got, I think we got a video clip of a recent one that, here we are, ready? Oh yeah, there you go. There you go. All right, that's probably enough of that. We're all gonna start dancing. But that's the cha-cha slide. Even I can do the cha-cha slide because right there in the words, it tells me one stomp this time, and then I stomp two stomps this time, and then I stomp twice. So see, I love, in fact, I love instructional songs so much uh, that when I was, uh, I was a math guy for most of my young life, uh, and when I first took calculus, um, I also was tutoring several students at the same time. And one of the things you have to do in calculus is you have to learn lots of kind of formulas to simplify the process of taking derivatives. And you don't have to know what that means except to know there are a lot of formulas to learn. And so what I would do for the people that I was tutoring is I would write songs to help us memorize the formulas. So for those of you who, who, are, who need to in the future learn the quotient rule, we have it up on the screen. This is the quotient rule. And the song is this. It's the bottom times the derivative of the top minus the top times the derivative of the bottom. And you put all of that over the bottom squared, and then you have the quotient rule. 
See, now you all know it. And so if you take calculus in the future, you're all going to know. Uh, I have more in case you're curious, but I'll spare you uh, the rest of my math formula songs, but I've got a lot. Okay. Um, now, I say all this to say, uh, just to let you know, you all, you all are already experienced with instructional songs. You already have a history. Even if the only one of all those examples you knew was the ABC song, and you'd never heard of I'm Just a Bill or the Cha-Cha Slide, and you didn't know the quotient rule, even if you didn't know the rest, you already have experience with songs that teach us how to do something. And today's psalm is one of those. It's a song that teaches us how to praise. It's a little different. Uh, there are many psalms in the Bible that are psalms of praise, where the psalm itself is directly a word of praise. But this psalm, while it is that, it's more than that. It's also a psalm that teaches us how to praise. Here, take a listen. Psalm 100, a psalm for giving grateful praise. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 100 is a short psalm, and it's a simple psalm. But in its simplicity, we have an opportunity to learn some crucial things about how to give praise. Like the ABC song teaches us how to look things up in the dictionary, and the quotient rule song teaches you how to apply a derivative across the division of two formulas. Psalm 100 teaches us how to praise. Uh, look back with me at it one more time. I just want you to notice a little pattern that we're going to tease out. Uh, the, the two sections of, of Psalm 100, I mean, brother, Psalm 100 has two points it makes, and it makes them in order. Uh, shout for joy, worship the Lord, is a command of praise. It starts there. And then it reminds us to, about who our God is. Know that the Lord is God. It's he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. You look at the second half. Those two beats repeat. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks. Praise his name. The command to praise is present. And then four, why? And now we get back to the character of our God. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues to all generations. 
Uh, Today, as we let Psalm 100 instruct us in how to praise, I just want us to learn these two simple rules for praise. These are the two things Psalm 100 wants to teach us. Number one, praise for God is an act of obedience. And number two, praise for God is is rooted in our knowledge of the character of God. Let's talk about those in turn. Praise is an act of obedience. This is in contrast to to the instinct we might have that praise is the result of circumstance. It's very important that we separate these two ideas. That, that the Bible teaches that praise is a, is, is a response of obedience and it is not the response to our circumstance. Now, of course, circumstantial praise happens and circumstantial praise is fine, but none of us need to be taught to do circumstantial praise. I mean, all of us instinctively know that when things are going well, out of the the joy of our heart, we spill over with praise. And the Psalms talk about this kind of praise. When things are going well, how we spill over with praise. But that isn't what Psalm 100 is teaching us. Psalm 100 is not teaching us about the praise that spills out of good circumstance. Psalm 100 is teaching us about the discipline of praise in every circumstance. I want to say that again. Psalm 100 is teaching us about the discipline of praise in every circumstance. Because I'll just tell you, when we get this backwards, we miss so much. I meet many people, and I do it myself sometimes too, but I meet many people who would say this, my attitude toward life is outside of my control. My attitude just depends on my circumstance. My thankfulness toward God is outside of my control. My thankfulness just depends on what's going on in my life. My love for other people is outside of my control. My love for other people just depends on how well they treated me. And my praise for God is outside of my control. It just depends on how well I think God has treated me. And I just want to tell you, if that's where you are today, if you have decided that your attitude and your thankfulness and your love and your praise are outside of your control, you need to know that your relationships are suffering because of that choice you made. If you've decided that your attitude and your thankfulness and your love and your praise are beyond your control, they just depend on your circumstance, your relationships with God and with other people are suffering because of that decision. If you let your circumstance control your thankfulness, your circumstance control your love, your circumstance control your praise of God, that decision that you have made will slowly weaken all of your relationships, including your relationship with God. If you let your circumstance determine whether or not you're grateful, you will slowly become ungrateful. Because there's always something in our circumstance that is less than what we would want it to be. On the contrary, 
uh, if you want to feel grateful, the easiest way to feel grateful, to experience gratitude, is to fake it until you feel it. And you will. I remember ages ago, I, I read some study about um, great people who experienced life in, through gratitude and people who didn't. People who felt grateful about life and people who didn't. And, and, and they, they, these, these authors had researched all kinds of things trying to figure out what they could consistently find that would d differentiate grateful people from ungrateful people. They expected that what they would find was that circumstance was the big difference. People who had obviously happy lives, they were healthy and wealthy with intact families, they would be more grateful than people who had obviously troubled lives. Yet no correlation related to circumstance could they discover. After some time of analyzing different things, they did find one correlation. The people who were consistently grateful were people who consistently expressed gratitude. And in fact, they discovered that one of the problems with their research was they had the cause and effect backwards. They thought that grateful people expressed gratitude. And it turns out what they discovered, it was just the opposite. People who expressed gratitude became grateful people. I can testify to this myself. As a, I was part of a study group one time, and just as an experiment, the leader of the group challenged us all to every morning list 10 things we were grateful for for God, and every day tell 10 people thank you for something. And then just watch what happened to our hearts. It was amazing. I watched my own heart just almost immediately go from the heart of someone who was bitter, always wanting more, to the heart of someone who was grateful always thankful for what I had gotten. It turns out it wasn't that feeling grateful made people grateful. It was that being grateful made people feel grateful. And what Psalm 100 is teaching us is that praise works the same way. If you want to experience a relationship of worship toward God, the way you do that is to begin to worship God. Now, of course, this is true in dozens of our relationships. Uh, listen, whenever I'm talking to somebody and they're talking about a relationship and they'll say something like this, if I felt more love, I would act more loving. I know that that relationship is on its last legs. If you're waiting to act loving till you feel love, your relationship is as good as dead. Or they'll say this, my gesture of love, my act of love doesn't really count if I don't feel it. On the contrary, a gesture of love done out of commitment rather than emotion is a greater expression of love. In, in friendship, which proves your friendship more clearly? When you show up to help a friend, even when you don't want to, and quite frankly, you're a little ticked at them for whatever they did last time? Or when you only show up because you've got nothing better to do and the offer sounds like fun? Which, which proves the depth of your friendship? Or in marriage, which proves the depth of your love? When you treat your spouse lovingly, even though you don't desire it and don't feel like it? Or if you only treat them lovingly, when all your emotions are there and every need of yours has been satisfied and you feel the grandeur of your love? Of course we know the answer. 
It's our commitment to friendship even when we don't feel friendly. Our commitment to love even when we don't feel loving. That is what solidifies the truth of our friendship and the power of our love. And the same is true of our worship. The same is true of our praise. If I may paraphrase a bit from the ending of the eighth chapter of C.S. Lewis's great book, The Screwtape Letters, and I am paraphrasing a bit, do not be deceived. The cause of Satan is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do God's will, looks around at the universe from which every trace of God seems to have vanished, asks, why have I been forsaken? And still gives praise to God. This is the first thing we learn about praise from Psalm 100. Praise is a decision. It is a learned practice. And the greatest and truest praise of God you will ever offer is the praise you offer when you don't feel like it. The most beautiful worship song you will ever sing is the song you sing that you don't like, but you sing it anyway because you love God and you long to give Him praise. This is why Psalm 100 starts out with a call to praise. But the call to praise of Psalm 100 is a command of praise. Look at it with me again. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. These are our instructions. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. And then the beginning of the second stanza. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. I would just invite you to let Psalm 100 change the way you worship. Sing when you don't feel like singing. Listen when you don't feel like listening. Give praise when the words feel like dust. This act of worship is not hypocrisy. It is discipline. And it's how we are taught to praise God. This is a psalm of instruction meant to guide our behavior, meant to guide our worship. And what we do is we obey the instructions of God, trusting that God will use these instructions to transform us. The first big thing we learn from Psalm 100 about praise is that praise is a command. And we respond to it in obedience. The second thing we learn, though, is this. Praise is rooted in our knowledge of God. Praise is rooted in the character of God. You notice that in the structure of Psalm. There is the command, and then there is the reminder of the character of God. There is the command, and then the reminder of the character of God. I talked not long ago... Uh, was someone who was worried about a friend that seemed to be losing faith in God. We, we talked for a while about why this was and what was threatening their friend's faith. And after some conversation, it became clear to me 
that the God they were losing faith in wasn't a God I believed in anyway. The God they were losing faith in was a God of legalism, was a God of judgment, was a God who liked some people more than others, was a God who was harsh and cruel and unloving. I said to him, well, of course they quit believing in that God. Of course they recoil from that God. Well, I don't believe in that God. And that's why Psalm 100, it, when it teaches us how to praise, it, it, it cannot go long with the, in, the command to praise, the instruction to praise, before it's moved beyond the command to call us to consider the nature of our God. Because all true praise, we, we just talked about how true praise can't be rooted in my circumstance, right? But it must be rooted somewhere. The obedience to praise must have its foundation somewhere. The foundations of the call to praise aren't my circumstance, but God's character. Look at how the psalm calls us to consider the character of God. In the first stanza, know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His people, the sheep of His pasture. And then the second stanza, For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. In order to ground our praise, to form a foundation for our praise, uh, the psalmist thinks that we need to know a few things about God. What do we need to know about God? Well, we need to know that God created all that is. We need to know that God has a claim on you. God has declared that you belong to God. We need to know that God cares for you. Those whom God has made, God has declared, those are my people. And those whom God has declared they are my people, God has cared for. Like a shepherd cares for sheep. This truth about the nature of God confronts some of the false notions we have about God. This confronts the lie that God loves some people more than others. Who would want to praise that God? This truth confronts the lie that God has good plans for some people and no plans for others. Who would want to give praise to a God like that? This truth confronts the lie that God loves some races or some nations or some people more than others. That false God is not worthy of praise. Psalm 100 reminds us that our praise of God is rooted in the character of God who has made all people and called all people His own and leads all people like a shepherd leads his flock. And then, before the psalmist leaves us with the instruction to praise, we're reminded one more time in verse 5, that God is good and God's love endures and God is faithful. Again, I meet people and you know people who are ready to give up on praising God 
because they don't know who God is. They are ready to give up on praising God because they think God only loves them this much and God's love will soon run out. You know people who are ready to give up on praising God because they think God's love is fickle, driven by their performance and their obedience, and if they have not obeyed or if they have wavered, then so has God's love. Who would want to give praise to a God whose love runs out? Who would want to give praise to a God whose love is fickle? No, our praise is rooted in the truth of a God whose love endures, who is faithful, the psalmist says, to generation after generation after generation. You see, if we believe lies about God, if the people we know and love believe lives about God, how could they possibly bring themselves to give praise? If we believe that our praise is rooted in our circumstance, well, then our praise will come and go. Some days we are full, others empty. But if we root our praise in the reliable, loving character of our God, and we express our praise as an obedient discipline in response to God's command, we will every day become more and more a people of worship, a people rooted in a loving God, overflowing with our God's good praise. To this day, I use the ABC song, to look up things in the dictionary. I use the quotient rule song to make sure I don't mess up my derivatives. And I'm always glad at a wedding when they play the cha-cha slide because then I know what to do. And in the same way, if you want to know how to praise God, even on the days you don't feel like it, keep Psalm 100 by your side. It will teach you how to praise obediently regardless of circumstance, rooted in the loving character of God. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you so much for your word, which comes to us ignorant and unaware and teaches us, teaches us how to praise you, God, I'm so grateful that even when the words of praise feel like ashes in our mouth, you invite us to give you praise. Knowing that as we give you praise, you will plant a spirit of praise in our hearts. And I am especially grateful, God, that our praise is rooted in your character, the character of our loving, generous God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.